Colossians 3, 15 and 16. Let the message about Christ in all his richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with the wisdom he gives. And whatever you do or say, do it as representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. In our first episode, Pastor Phil interviews Mike and Janine Hamilton as they discuss what it's like and what led them to be foster parents. I think we make half your Sunday school. Yeah, the first week I'm like, that is a lot of children. (laughs) And there's more coming. This is a Corner Stories podcast. Well, we are really excited about this morning. Uh, Mike and Janine Hamilton are here, and they're going to share a bit of their story. Uh, they have a, a wonderful story to tell. And Mike, just would you take a few moments and kind of explain, describe uh, for the listener, kind of your family, who you guys are, where you're from, all, all those kinds of things. Sure. Um, so Gina been married 24 years. Um, we met at a camp with uh that was specifically for um kids with learning disabilities um so they would come to the camp they would do academics in the morning to try and catch up with their schooling and then just regular camp stuff in the afternoon that's where we kind of met so even right from the beginning Ginny and i have sort of always been interested in helping out kids um, I was a child and youth worker working in group homes. Janine had her ECE, and so in our first house, she started her own uh, daycare. Um, so even right from the beginning of our marriage, we were involved with working with children. Um, and then our own kids came along, so kind of some of that stuff went on hold. But in, in all of this conversation with having our own kids and moving and you know figuring out our own lives and careers, in the back of our minds was always this idea that at some point we wanted to open up our house and take in um, children who were, you know, struggling or it wasn't safe to be in their own house or w- sort of whatever the circumstance might be. But we wanted to get into fostering. Um, Janine's parents fostered, uh, so she grew up in that sort of fostering um, environment herself with her parents taking in um, kids. And it was just, it's always been something with me. There's a couple of verses in scripture that talks about Christians looking after widows and orphans and that orphan piece really resonates deep with me so this is something we've been wanting to do for a long time but we also had our own kids as priority so we wanted to make sure that they were older Um, so we have three children Chloe is our oldest she's in uh, going into her final year at UPEI Abby's going into her second year at Mount A and then we have uh, Joanna who's 11 and she was actually our first foster kid that we decided we weren't giving back. And so we kept her and adopted her, and now she is um, sort of keeping us young. How long ago uh, did that adoption process finish up? Um, it was fairly quick. Well, I guess so. I would say it was quick in terms of what the wait time is for adoptive uh, parents now. Uh, she came to us right from the hospital, so I got a call and it was the hospital saying we have a child do you want it and I went it and (laughs) they were like yeah it's child's not born yet don't know if it's a boy or a girl do you want it and I said yeah absolutely of course we will we'll take the child and from that point on to about two years later is when we sort of signed the final adoption papers and got to keep her um 
it's just, it, I mean, it, that's maybe another story for another time, but even that process moving along, just kind of seeing different circumstances and God's hand in different ways. We were praying that we would get to keep her, but ultimately we were praying that whatever was best for her. And if that wasn't with us, we understood that and we would work through the grief of that. But God had it in his mind that her being with us was the best thing for her. So we got to keep her and that was, it's been good. So Mike, you had mentioned that uh, Janine, you grew up in an environment where foster care was just a normal part of your life. That's right. Can you speak to a little bit of that and how that kind of shaped your own heart in this way? Uh, My parents were immigrants and they lived uh, beside a church and it was the church that got them involved in the fostering and it allowed them to give to the community because they were so thankful that the church gave to them and helped them and just gave them extra support that they needed. So um, my dad was doing his master's and my mom was home with us and she isn't really good with young children. (laughs) So she chose the teenagers. So then the teenagers, we were like their therapy (laughs) and they would help with raising these. uh, My sister was two and I was an infant. Um, And so um, they became my second moms, really. And still to this day, like we're still there's two that are very close to me that I consider like my second moms. Um, So I think because my parents had such a love for it and I got so much love from it that it was a non-negotiable. When I was dating Mike, I just said, this is what I need to do. Um, This is just who I am. And and if not, then, well, (laughs) it was was no option. It's a deal breaker. (laughs) It was a deal breaker. Um, It just, you take a child and you become a family and then fortunately we became families with their families that doesn't always happen um but we were just very blessed that we were able to touch the lives of the parents and then the parents stayed in contact still with us and even when my parents left fostering 10 or 15 years later we were still involved in both their families uh these two girls that stayed with us they were with us for four years so um just the parents were not available and not um, strong enough to look after their girls. So they stayed involved with us, but they were still in foster care. So so when you uh, married and you started having your own kids, uh, I remember when we were out to your place having supper and asking your girls, how has that shaped their own life? Just share with the listener um, how this has shaped their lives in, in careers that they're pursuing. Sure. Um, so as I mentioned, Chloe's in her, going into her final year at UPEI and she is doing a bachelor of science, but it's in psychology and she's even leaning towards sociology. So she wants to, um, sort of go into a career where she will be having a, a chance as a professional to work with kids and work with children and keep them safe and you know, make sure they're raised well. And as and their Bachelor of Science is sort of explaining the the how sort of the brain works and how is this going on. And that's sort of the 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 field that she wants to go into. Um, whereas Abby is um, at Mount A and she's doing uh, a BA in classical history and psychology. And she wants to become a lawyer and wants to become a child advocate lawyer. Um, and she wants to work at the 
um, sort of the why the brain works. So Chloe's looking at the how and she's looking at the why, but both of them um, are at this point anyway, are leaning towards in some way professionally working with kids and working with uh, particularly marginalized children and trying to make their lives better. So. so how does that make you feel as a mom and dad when you see your kids pursue careers that kind of are born out of a very near and dear space to your own, your own hearts? I think that they see the problems that the kids come into our home and there's no therapy, there's no psychologist, there's no, there, it doesn't exist. So these kids have trauma and there's no one to help them release that or to verbalize it or to um, grow out of it. Like you, there's nothing. And then for Abby, the, law, the court system in PEI right now is all in favor of the parents and the children are having to go back because the court is ordering them to go back to their homes, which is an unsafe environment. So we had a, a child leave our home and she said, and she said, I'm going home, but that's okay. God's with me. And I just, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think for me, it's relief. Um, there are stories where, you know, um, f- foster parents, you know, it, it makes the children feel like, well, you know, aren't we enough in the house? Do they have to go and find more children? Like there's sort of some of these negative ideas that come out that you don't have enough time for your own kids. And um, I think for me anyway, it's sort of that idea of relief that we were able to balance it, give enough love and support to our own kids at the same time, sort of share our lives with these foster kids and sort of give them a different taste of what life can be. But it actually... um, sort of I don't I don't say push it's not the right word but promoted or encouraged my own kids to sort of see the importance of this and see the value in this and um, sort of pursue careers along those lines too even Joanna who's 11 I mean she is as much sort of downstairs hanging with the foster kids as we are and in her own little way is teaching them what appropriate play is, what appropriate manners are. We're, we're kind of laughing because around the table right now, we've got five kids, um, six and under. And so we're trying to teach them how to use knives and forks because that's, it's a new thing for them. They've never seen knives and forks before, sort of certainly use them at a table. So Joanna's the one that's, this is your fork and this is your knife and put your fork flat and scrape it on, like with the knife. Like, so she's even in her own little way trying to encourage and, support these kids um which is just it's good to see it's nice to see yeah we'll come back to some of the foster questions in a minute sure um take a moment and just share some of your your pastoral ministry experience because i suspect that some of those um the things that you learned in that space have really been uh kind of the underpinnings of heart issues and all kinds of ways in which you view the world um so just take a moment and kind of walk us through uh you were kind of a pastor kind of traveled different places of the world and served in ministry just take a moment and and kind of speak into that for us yeah sure am i still talking yeah okay fine (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah so i was doing I went and got my child and youth worker diploma and was working in group homes. But I realized that I was sort of getting a distorted view of what 
quote unquote normal was, what normal kids were. Because I was always sort of spending my time with kids who had gone through trauma and were sort of acting out what their trauma was. So I got involved in youth ministry as a volunteer at my church just to kind of give me a balance of, oh yeah, this is really what sort of kids who grew up in a loving environment are kind of like. And um, it was a good balance for me. But that kind of led me actually into becoming a youth pastor. So uh, while I was doing the child and youth worker thing, I did some night school and got... um, I don't know, a degree in something from Ontario Bible College. and Sounds um, really official. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> but anyway, it, it got me a job as a youth pastor in uh, Nova Scotia. And what I found interesting was sort of the skills and tools that I learned as a group home worker were actually more beneficial to me as a youth pastor than what I learned at Bible College. Um, I mean, I learned lots of great Bible knowledge, but it was my youth, my CYW stuff that actually gave me sort of an insight in how to deal with kids and what they're looking for and the importance of acceptance and belonging and and identity and, and all of those things. So I worked in youth pastoring then for about five years. Um, and during that end of that time, my dad passed away and um, it kind of prompted me to kind of move into more senior ministry. And so I we went back to Ontario where we were sort of home base was um, went to cemetery seminary <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> finished my uh, finished my MDiv there and that purposely. yes <laughs> and then uh, yeah and, and then I got a job in the Presbyterian Church as a pastor but in the sort of three different churches I worked at um, I always gravitated back to youth ministry so I was doing my job as a senior pastor but there was just this need for me to be connecting with kids and teens. And so kept doing that throughout it. So I worked in Ontario for a few years in a Presbyterian church. And then we went to the Bahamas for three years, worked there um, as a pastor. And then that must've been a rough, like go to the Bahamas. Like that's everybody's pastor's dream. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the Bahamas is a great place to visit. It's a, uh, it's a, it's another animal to live there. Um, it's very much a second world country. Lots you of cor- lots don't of corruption. Get supplies. So our kids had yeah. their shoes duct taped. You don't get food supplies. So there's bugs in your food. You have to cook the rice and then scrape off the top so the kids don't see the dead bugs on top. And I, I mean, if it's if it's at all stormy on the day that the yeah. ship's supposed to arrive, then there's no food, food deliveries until days in the un- store. yeah until the next week when the ship comes back. Um, I, I mean, it, we love. I loved it. We loved it. Mm-hmm. My kids maybe not so much. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I still think it was a really good learning lesson for them. Um, and I did think it shaped a lot of sort of positives around them getting to view what like real poverty looks like. Um, so the church was connected. Uh, we built a organization called Crossreach and Crossreach donates and gives out to families that are in crisis because the Bahamas, the Bahamian government doesn't give food to the Haitians that have um, illegally come to the island. So they try to starve them out. They don't want them to have jobs. So if we give them a job, we get kicked off the island. So they really want to push them out as much as they can, but that makes it difficult for them to feed and to, like, they just can't get a boat and go. They don't have money for that. So And nowhere to go. And nowhere to go. And also the Bahamians don't like to see anybody with a handicap. So they have to hide them. They're not allowed out. In, well, they are allowed out in public, but they just 
looked down upon it. It's really heartbreaking. So we would go into these homes where um, one lady had two cerebral palsy boys and she lived on the second floor because that's all she could afford. So she had to live in a compound with drug, um, like they were giving out the drugs, they're dealers basically. And they loved helping her and she loved the help because nobody else would carry her boys down because they were bored during the day. Um, but then we had to come in. <laughs> that was a whole different um, problem because the cops were watching us. So here we were delivering toys and um, therapists. We brought a therapist with us for and the boys. Lots of and food. Food. And mattresses. So as we were coming out, there was a missionary, myself, who was the minister's wife, and the missionary who was organizing Crossreach. And the cops pulled us aside as soon as we came out of the compound and completely stripped his truck, and we're staying there. We're kind of laughing. The, the lady with me was a missionary. We were laughing. We were like, of all the people to pull aside and, and strip the truck, there's like a missionary, there's a <laughs> minister's wife. And, um, but the man who was in charge of it was terrified because he knew that the cops sometimes plant things to kick you off the island. and he Or to blackmail you. Or to blackmail you. And they didn't understand who we were, or what we were doing. All they knew is we were coming out of a complete area, area that was very... Yes. Yeah, very no, for supply and drugs. Supply and drugs. So um, anyway, we got back in the car and um, we got a call later on apologizing for this to happen. And they'll make sure that they are aware that when this truck goes into that compound, this is what we're doing for this lady who has the two cerebral palsy boys. But um, yeah, it, it was, you know, you look, you didn't know the information as we were staying there. You'd find out later why this man was so terrified of him interrogating us and stripping his truck and you're like oh there's another like another side to this <laughs> we're just helping and you, you're just naive walking into it but you learn and um you know the people who are strung out you learn to walk over them and and go up to the second floor and try to just make normal of what's normal to them because what's shocking to us is 100% normal to them. So we can't show our fears. We can't show our shock or our disgust. These are people. So it was uh, learning very quickly of how to mingle and how to provide for these people. What I, what I loved uh, the night at your home was just the many different stories of your ministry experiences in different parts of the world that I was like, I can't even... I can't relate to any of those moments and how all of those things were used by God to form and shape and to fuel all of the decisions that you've done in ministry. Uh, and I suspect even has continued to shape a heart that just loves to work with those that are um, in the margins. And if we, if we bring the conversation up to like now, um, your home has been like, it's not a normal residence. Um, there's like, um, it's like a, a weird kind of beautiful apartment for, like it's, it's designed with foster care in mind. Um, so just kind of walk us through that because it's not a normal uh, three bedrooms and, and a couple bathrooms and a kitchen. It, it has something else in mind completely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And maybe to segue, like Janine was talking about this sort of drug community um, it kind of gave me a different perspective of 
that group of people that, you know, you've got all your stereotypes of the drug community and all the Hollywood eye stuff. But to really see these people that, you know, are, are, are struggling, have got their own addictions and by all means are not <laughs> sort of doing what you would want people to be doing, but the way they look after each other and the community that was there and the support they had for each other. Um, I, I think God gave me a very sort of opened my eyes and gave me a different understanding of people, which means when I come into the fostering situation, it's easy to write off the parents who can't look after their kids in a safe or nurturing environment. Um, it's just given me a different idea instead of just taking the stereotype and writing them off somewhere this person despite their own trauma and difficulties and challenges is still a human who's got kids who somehow wants to make things right and it just gives us I think a different perspective on how to love them mm-hmm. despite and maybe despite maybe them being the perpetrator of the abuse that's caused harm to their child somewhere in here is still a person that Jesus loves and died for. Therefore, not to condone their behavior, but their behavior is not who they are. They're a child of God, and so we need to give them some love and respect. And I would even go as far to say, you know, some some second chances or even a chance for them to tell their story of what their own trauma was about that's causing them to act and behave like this. So, um, I would say that would be a Bahamas piece that is sort of carried over into our ministry or our, our work that we do now. Mm-hmm. Even um, Joanna, when they had a visit, there's always a court somewhere happening. And so they had booked Joanna's ap- appointment with her mom, birth mom, um, and then she was dressed up for court to go right after. And we came out of the building and she was walking to the bus stop because she had to go to court. And I came out driving around the corner. I just turned my, my window down. And I said, you know what? You look really beautiful today. And never had she had a compliment before. And I found this out after. And she just broke down in tears and fell to the ground. Just simple. Like, just nobody loved. Nobody's, so she gets pregnant all the time because that's the only time someone talks to her. So people forget. And, you know, we get angry or we get, you know, oh, they're begging for money or they're, you know, oh, she's strung out. Like, no, these are people. And they have a heart. And a lot of times is they haven't gotten the love. They haven't been nurtured themselves. They don't know how to be a parent because their parent wasn't a parent. Um, so just, it's, it's just love. I think that's what you were saying, that y- you really do just, you know, reach out and say, hey, like p- put a sh- hand on your shoulder. Even though the man is, you know, on the street and nobody wants to touch him because he's filthy. Like the shock to them is just as much as a shock to us, but... It's just something, some letting them know, like someone cares, someone loves you. So, but to go back to the question, so we've got this, <laughs> so so there's this concept then that we've got about what, you know, fostering needs to be. Absolutely care for the children, but somewhere in there, there's needs to be opportunities for us to connect with parents. And if that's dropping kids off at the visit, then it's making sure that we take the time to introduce ourselves to the parents and to say hi so then every time we're dropping off for a visit we've now got some connection and you know say hey how you doing good to see you wow it's really hot today but at least it's a it's a small conversation but at least it's providing us 
some sort of rapport with them as opposed to just dropping the kid off and, and, and running away. So um, the need for us to provide for children and the families um, was is really important. And so, you know, we would kind of, we bought our house and then we were talking about that we wanted to, at the time we could only foster two children. One. We started with one and then we split our bedroom into right. two. Right. <laughs> so we had one foster room, one child, that's right. And then we took our bedroom and we renovated it a bit and manipulated it and was able to get a second foster room. And then we were talking about... We always had the infants and the other siblings had to go somewhere else Correct. because we never had the room. And so then... We're like, well, how do we change that? We've already split our bedroom into two, and now we have two babies, but the other siblings are still somewhere else. So how do we change that? And it was important, yeah, it was important for us to try and keep these sibling groups together. Um, so, you know, we were sort of maybe at that stage of our life, we were talking about a trailer or a cottage or, you know, and we just decided that we would build our cottage onto our house. So we... Um, sort of sat down with some <laughs> pen and paper and measurements and uh, a good friend of ours from the last church I was pastoring at, he owns, um, I'm going to give him a plug, Ridgeline Construction at Esbrooks, a uh, great guy, they do good work. So met with him, talked with him and started designing something. So we were able to kind of sort of blow out the wall on the outside of the house and sort of our house gave birth to another house. But it was it's primarily designed for fostering so we now have um we got four mm-hmm. four additional rooms but all of the rooms are large enough that we can have um up to three kids in each room so if we have a sibling group that comes in they could potentially be in the same room together um and i think at max we could do eight kids although i don't know if they'll ever give us that <laughs> for our own sanity but there is a conversation that we've got five now and possibly two more by coming. september there may be another no next week two more that may <laughs> new phone call <laughs> so anyway that which is fine i mean that's that was our intention this is why we did it so we're we're both doing this fostering thing full time um, and we designed the house in order to have enough room so then there's a bathroom downstairs that is all kid friendly short toilet and then through the bathroom is a mud room and then the exit to the outside of the house um all the windows sort of come down low so you know it's small beds ikea has been great for short (laughs) furniture like it's been fine so the whole thing has been designed for foster kids that's amazing yeah, it's amazing. So that's what we did. When you think of uh, your your faith and your walk with the Lord, how does that hold it all together? Because I'm sure that you've had some pretty some pretty dark nights of the soul. I'm sure you've had some pretty high mountaintop experiences. How does how does your faith and your following of Christ kind of hold this all together to keep going till you? retire so to speak yeah do you ever retire in ministry not really i don't think so not really <laughs> christ followers should never stop we evolve engaging that's we right evolve we should and, never stop and new ministries come in your way in your path but i don't think you ever stop no. i think I, I have a friend who's 85 and she sends out three thousand christmas cards and and <laughs> i'm like how do you do that like yeah <laughs> but she's touched so many people and everybody wants a bit of her 
Um, so I've learned from ministry and people in our ministry that you just keep going and you don't stop until God sends you home. Yeah. And I think you listen. And so, I mean, child and youth work, youth ministry, senior pastoring, now fostering. Um, In all of that, I think we were sort of fitting into a season God had us in. Now we're in the fostering season. Um, I would say for, well, I'll speak for me personally, I would find this part maybe is the most fulfilling for me as much as I love youth ministry and as much as I loved, you know, senior pastoring, and I really did love it, this part, though, um, maybe it's just because maybe finally I got to the point where God said, okay, now you can do this because we clearly had some remedial work that needed to be done along mm-hmm. the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But now we can do it, and so now we're doing it. And it just feel very settled. But at the same time, you're right. I mean... We get a phone call. Sorry, this course decided this child's going home. We'll be there in an hour to take them. There's no sense of a goodbye. There, there's no not. It's just they're kind of taken from you and off you go. Um, so how do you handle that? Well, uh, for me, I think it's I know my role. My role is to provide stability and safety and care for kids coming out of a crisis situation. And as long as they are in our house, we will provide the safety, the nurturing, the love, something different that they haven't experienced in their life. We will do whatever we can to either shore up the foundation or provide a solid foundation for them wherever they go next. If it's to an adoptive family, well, then they're going to have a good foundation for those adoptive parents to build on. If it's back with their biological parents, then they're going to have a good foundation that maybe they'll be even be able to teach the parents something about what parenting looks like, like the, using knives and forks. I'll th- give an th- example sort of, of that, too. Um, one of the children in our home, he asked for a laundry basket. And I'm like, well, we have one in your room. He goes, well, I want to take it with me. So forks and knives as well. They don't have forks and knives and plates. So he wanted to ask for forks and knives and plates. So I'm like, well, I'll have to ask the worker because it's not really a toy. <laughs> um, but that's how we've been teaching them. So the toothbrush, they ask, can I, we take that home too? Yes, you can take the toothbrush and, and toothpaste home with you too. And that all goes with you. And so mentally they're preparing to go home but also we're preparing them and teaching them this is how you do it this is where your clothes go this is how you brush your teeth this is you need to now do it yourself so I started for the first month or two months and then allow them to be more independent than I would say if I had that age of a child so I teach them very early on even from two to be very independent because when they do go home more than likely, they'll be teaching the parent. So they have to be taught to care for themselves, kind of, in a more older, like, more, I mean, they can do it. I mean, we've been to different countries, and you see these two-year-olds raise a baby. So, um, but it just gives them a foundation of being able to care for themselves and then not having to stress about it. And And if it's a sibling set then they sort of support each other in that mm-hmm. about brushing their teeth together and, and you know doing making sure their laundry goes in the laundry basket together and those sorts of things but 
so, so we know our role, that we have these children in our home, and then we provide for them as best as we can until the decision is made for them to go somewhere else. And so my faith kicks in that I know what I'm responsible for, and I know what I'm not responsible for. I'm not responsible for the decision of where they're going next. I can give my two cents worth, and I often do. Um, But while they're in our house, that's what God's asking us to do, to love on these kids. But the decisions that get made outside of that, I have to trust that to God. And I have to trust that to him pulling other people in, that it's very much a sort of a team concept trusting that you know he he sees these kids and he loves them way more than i do so you know um he's a good god so i just trust him in that and that sort of gets us through there's still as you say the mountaintops and there's still the valleys there's still the tears there's still the the struggles um but uh there is something about just being able to hand it off and and trusting that as I said, our good God will, you know, have his hand in this. For them to see people and adults be trustworthy and then to be able to bring them to Cornerstone and knowing that for that one hour they meet someone else who's safe and that they can trust is huge. So what your team does helps as well because it takes them out of our home and they know we're safe but then puts them in another environment, a strange environment, and for that one hour they see other healthy adults. Um, and they talk about that and, Hey, I got a high five from one of the, the, and it surprises them because their circle at their environment is a lot of negativity, a lot of parents, grandparents, it all comes down and, and how they treat each other. And so it's not a healthy adult lifestyle that they're, they otherwise they wouldn't be in our care. So that one hour of the team that you have providing for the kids program. Yeah, we bring a lot of kids, so I apologize for that. <laughs> I think we make and half your, yeah. half your yeah, Sunday first school. Week, I'm like, that is a lot of children. <laughs> that, yeah. And there's more coming. And there's, so we come out of our two, sometimes three cars, and there's nine of us, and we get quite a look sometimes. Yeah. But that's, Have you looked into the Kia Carnival that seats I'm 15? I'm not, because then they're going to provide well, me more kids. See, I was I allowed have. to say on the phone... <laughs> I was allowed to say on the phone the last time, no, we're not taking three more. I've got five. I'm good. Um, but now there's such a crucial point oh, that they came, right 15 kids came in last week and there's no more beds. So a three-year-old had to go to a group home mm. and that just kills me. That That's not okay. So, so I've been looking at the carnival. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of final question. You had mentioned at the beginning uh, widows and orphans. You can't uh, read the scriptures and not see this incredible heart for widows, orphans, the marginalized, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Not everyone would be called into foster care. How would you, though, articulate as a Christ follower, we are called to the margins? Just speak to that for a little bit. I think that... um being called to the margins, that starts with, I think, a willingness to go to where the marginalized are. I think it's a willingness to have 
to open your home to the marginalized. But I honestly believe all that willingness um, starts with prayer. And it starts with being in scripture. And it starts with you being willing and open to the Holy Spirit. Because we've used the word a number of times, called. Um, And it's that idea that, you know, God's working. He's doing his thing. He invites you into it. If you don't show up, it's still going to get done. You're just the one that's going to miss out. Mm. And it is missing out. It is. Mm-hmm. It Absolutely. is missing out. And people, yeah. I have found in my own experience, people don't understand that. No. They don't, they don't, like, not that there's, not it's like, well, what's in it for me? But, but what's in it for us is seeing God's hand at work yeah. and missing out on those moments. And sometimes you get to play a small role in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is an amazing thing in yeah. our lives as we pursue who Christ is. Yeah. Like, we've got these kids that come into our house, and we, I mean, our, our love for Jesus just sort of flows into what we do. Um, and, and I don't want to make us sound like super Christian, but I just think it's when that relationship with Christ becomes more than just book knowledge and it moves into your heart, and it starts to affect what your hands and your feet are doing. And mm. it starts to affect how you think and how you see people and what you notice. Um, it just kind of just starts to, it just, it starts to happen. Um, I think it was Doug Fields that said, you know, he hated what would Jesus do. He wished it was who would Jesus be. Mm. If we get the being right of Jesus coming in and, and, forming our hearts and the Holy Spirit working at us, the doing stuff will just happen yeah. if we get the being part right. So it's being with Jesus. Then all of a sudden this stuff just happens. So our kids sit down at the table. We say grace. It's just the culture in our family. So we've got all these crazy camp graces. We sit around the table. Now the kids in our table won't eat until we say grace. Yeah. Um, we go to church on a Sunday morning. So the kids ask, what day's today? Is this a home day or a church day? Mm-hmm. It's just something we do in our house. We're not trying to apostolize these kids. We're not trying to force them into something. It's just how we live, and it's given them an exposure to something else. And as Janine's absolutely right, oftentimes the adults in their life are not a safe group. Um, so for them to be exposed to a group of adults that would be safe whether that's in school or at the church or in our house or when we have friends come over and they're hanging with the kids, like, you know, it just, it, it, it kind of opens their world to what they're used to, to see that, oh, wait, there's other options out there. But really, I bring it right back again. Um, you need to be praying this out. Mm-hmm. So we have done these different types of ministries, and I think a lot of it has formed us to where we are now. But in all those different places, we've, I think we fully believe it was God saying, okay, you need to do this now and keep doing it until I say to you, you need to go here now. And then keep doing it until I say to you, this is what you need to focus on now. Mm. And that's kind of how we've lived our life. And um, I think, as you say, there's been ups and downs in that. And sometimes God has said, and we've said no. And sometimes God has said, and we've said, uh, maybe. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and I mean, there's one thing I remember coming home and we had this great idea that we had bought our first house, but it was made sense for us because Janine was going 45 minutes one way to school and I was going 45 minutes the other way to work. And it was kind of in the middle, but it was like half an hour away from the church. And 
we were involved in youth ministry and it was just, it was too far. So we decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to move to Stony Creek right by the church and we're going to set up there and we'll just open the house and the kids can move over whenever they want. And it was this great plan. It was fantastic. So we put our house up for sale and every house around us is selling and we don't even have an offer. <laughs> and it's like a week goes by, a month goes by, two months go by and I'm just frustrated as anything. God, this is a great plan. You know it is sell our freaking house will you no you won't and i'm driving home and i've got a stephen gooders chapman cd in and it's the song whatever a cd you just aged yourself i know CD. i did I yeah. know. for those who don't know that's a little disc that that's used right. to go in your car <laughs> at least i didn't say eight track <laughs> but I, so i'm listening to this song and it's it's just the song whatever and, and the song the chorus basically says you know it, it's not what i want it's not what anybody wants it's it's god it's whatever Whatever. And so it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. I said, God, this has totally been our plan. Okay. All right, whatever, God. If you, for whatever reason, don't think this is a good plan and you need us to stay where we are and figure out ministry here um, with our neighbors or whatever, we'll do that. That's fine. No word of a lie. An offer, uh, a showing the next day, an offer came in. By the end of the week, the house was sold. Hmm. And we moved to Stony Creek. And we opened up the house and we had, the plan came to fruition. But it had to be us in obedience and surrendering to God that, yeah, you were right. It was a good plan, but we had to be okay with it being a no first and submitting to him. So that's sort of how we have kind of lived. God has said, go and do this. We have said, hey, we want to do this. And God has said, no, close the door, not happening. Mm. And it's brought us to this point with kids. There's been a lot of times, too, where we're like, okay, God, we followed you so many times. Now we would like this, and we want this. And it's still, he waits, and nothing happens, and nothing happens. And I was at um, his brother's house, and Mike's like, there's no churches opening or that we fit into. And so I said, okay, so maybe we need to look a little bit around the two-hour radius that we were keeping for our family because our, our parents are aging. And like, okay, maybe we should look outside that two hours. So that became 22 hours to PEI. <laughs> and the doors just open, and within a week, we're like, okay, that's where we're going. So it was either BC or PEI. It was like one coast or the other. So, um, But again, yeah. God, as soon as we say, okay, God, this is you, and we let go and give it to him, the doors just like fly open. It's like sometimes it's a little scary. So the calling to the Bahamas was six weeks move and selling everything you own mm -hmm. and hopping on a plane is very scary. So I, I was glad it was six weeks because if I had any time to, to, to think, think about it and not say, <laughs> God, this is what you want, then I would have hesitated and really stuck my heels in and not followed what God wanted us to do. But it was quick. Like you don't think six weeks is quick. It's quick. Mm. <laughs> and I have to keep reminding myself that I'm God's foster kid, hmm. right? Like, I mean, I've been adopted now and part of his family. All of, I mean, I get that. It's not a great theological statement. But in a lot of ways, we work with these kids and we see what they're doing. And we just know better from our own experience that you go down this path, it's not going to end well. And I just wonder how many times God is saying to me, you go down this path, it's not going to end well. <laughs> and I have to keep reminding myself that even in the no, uh, God knows better. And he does have my best interest at heart. And he knows what fits. So 
I just feel more often than not the question I'm getting from now from God now is, why is it taking you so long to figure this out? Because <laughs> you know it, <laughs> right? And that's where it is. It's kind of funny, but um, so anyway, that's kind of how our faith sort of brings us to this point. And but prayer, I guess, is the big piece because that's where you're going to hear God when He's and He will call you to work with people. Right? I mean, the whole thing's about relationship. So. Well, listen, I want to I want to thank you guys for coming in today. Uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you, uh, Mike. That first time we met in our office, uh, I'm like, man, I jo- just enjoyed that that conversation. Enjoyed uh, the night at your home. Enjoyed watching your kids like love on our kids, and they were strangers. Um, a blessing to so many uh, outside of the church and inside the church, and it's just going to be a real joy to kind of walk with you in the coming days. Thank you. And if you've ever wondered about foster care, I would encourage you to reach out to Mike and Janine. I'm sure they could walk with you well in those beginning steps and be a, just a tremendous cheerleader in the whole process. But I want to thank you guys so much for coming today. Uh, God bless, and enjoy the rest of the day. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us for the very first Corner Stories podcast. In our second episode, Josh and Lindsay Andrews join Pastor Phil as they share the joys, struggles, pain, heartaches of life, and how we can face it all knowing we have a God who is in control. We want to go on a trip in October, so we're going to plan to, you know, get pregnant this exact day. So my controlling issues are coming out again. I had everything, I had everything figured out. And then before we were going, it's like, no, you're pregnant naturally. And it was just like God showing me, like, you think you're going to control this, but you're not. And here you go. Here is a baby. <laughs> and they told me it was like 1% chance that I could get pregnant naturally. And, and so she came and I'm like, wow, all my plans are at the window. Obviously, I, again, can't sit and kind of pencil in my life every single day. So that was a huge learning experience as well. Let this message about Christ and all his richness fill our lives. See you next time.